Good morning, church. Today's reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, verses 1 through 11, can be found in the Pew Bible on page 785. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness and tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to them, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord God and serve only him. The devil left him, and suddenly the angels came and waited on him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks. Well, good morning, church. My name is Mark Montgomery. I'm also one of the pastors here at Ebenezer. I want to join Pastor Rob's welcome and welcome all of you. You know, as I, um, uh, in a couple weeks, June 2nd, I'm going to preach my last sermon here. And I have found myself getting nostalgic, uh, thinking not only of my time here at Ebenezer, but really back to when I first began in, in ministry, at least uh, as a pastor. So I, I can remember this moment very vividly. Uh, it was... Easter, Easter weekend 2008, I was still in seminary. I had flown down to San Antonio to be with my parents and then had driven the two and a half hours down to Corpus Christi and I met with the leadership team of the new church where I was going to be the associate pastor, the new associate pastor at Grace there in Corpus. And I remember uh, meeting the team. Uh, I remember at, during the meeting, I was a little bit nervous. I mean, y'all have seen me nervous. You know what nervous looks like for me. I remember later being excited. You've seen me excited. You know what that looks like, too. And then a couple days later, when I was driving, I'm sorry, flying to North Carolina the day after Easter, I remember being in a plane, and all of a sudden it hits me. And I start thinking to myself, what if I'm not that good of a preacher? What if, what if I don't pray so well in front of the church? What if the decisions that I make aren't really that great or helpful. What if, what if I'm not the pastor that they need? I'm going to tell you right now that I don't remember anything about that last semester in seminary, at least after Easter, right? Because all I could think about was my new position at this new church. And maybe you've been here before, but it was hard to focus on anything else because all I could feel was that pressure mounting. You know what I'm talking about? Y'all felt that pressure. One of you have. Great. And as that pressure began to mount, it became increasingly difficult to focus on anything else. And we've all felt that pressure as leaders. And you know, it's true because we're all leaders no matter where we are, whether it's in our families, whether it's 
in the work that we do or the way that we serve out in the world. We're all leaders. We've all felt that pressure at some point and that pressure that builds and builds and builds. Maybe it's pressure that we have perceived on our own. It's a story that we tell ourselves and we've kind of made it up along the way and made it worse than really is. Maybe it's the pressure that other people put on us. Ever heard, hey, you've got big shoes to fill, right? Or maybe it's just the pressure of our circumstances, that there's just so much going on that we've got a lot of plate spinning, and it just feels like we've got a lot of pressure. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm trying to lead under pressure, it's difficult, right? I mean, it is difficult. In fact, I'll tell you that when I am leading under pressure, I don't always make good decisions. Anybody with me? Right? So if, when I'm a, when I'm at home and I'm leading my family and I'm under pressure and there's a lot of things going on, sometimes I can be more reactive. I can get defensive. Even when I'm leading here at the church at Ebenezer, when I've got a lot going on, when I've got a lot of pressure and I can feel it mounting, well, I'm not as intentional about the decisions that I make. I'm not as focused in the work that I do and, And I start to slip a little. And it's in those moments, maybe you've experienced too, in pressure-filled situations that I'm more likely to be open to the temptation of making bad decisions or taking shortcuts where I shouldn't. It's at the end of Matthew 3. Jesus is about 30 years old. And he walks into the Jordan. And he's about to get baptized by his cousin John. And then after he does, he comes up out of the water. The heavens open up. And this voice, this audible loud voice is heard by everybody and it says, This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Now think about it like this. This is Jesus' graduation, right? This is his commissioning. This is that moment that for 30 years as a human and an eternity as God, right? But for these 30 years as a human, he is prepared every moment, every second to be ready for what would come next. This was his his commission, his moment when God has says, this is my son, this is the Messiah, it's time to start your public ministry. It's that moment in Jesus' life. And you know what he does after this? He runs to the media news outlets and he announces his bid for Messiah. No, that's not what happens, right? What happens after Jesus is commissioned? He runs into the desert, into the wilderness, and he fasts. For 40 days and 40 nights. And at the end of those 40 days and 40 nights, when he's tired, he's hungry, he's famished, then the devil shows up. And Satan tempts Jesus three different ways. You know, over the past few weeks, we've been talking about the difference between character-driven leadership and results-driven leadership. Now, it's not that results are bad, but when that becomes our focus, in order to be a great leader... We've got to be character-driven. In a perfect world where life is always easy and we never experience pressure, it's not so bad to be a character-driven leader, right? If, if only that were the case. But when things come along, it, to be honest, it's not always easy to keep our integrity. It's not always easy to keep our character intact. And so what we find is that as the pressure mounts, the pressure that we face as leaders, life can get complicated. And you know what I've always wondered? Why is it? That when I'm tired, when I'm hungry, when I'm famished, that that's when the temptations show up? You you with me? Like, why is it that it's at the end of Jesus' 40 days and 40 nights of fasting when he's starving, that that's when the the devil shows up? And I'm always like, 
devil, if you just wait for me to, I just need a little bit of food in my belly, then we can talk, all right? Just pause. But that's not how life is. The pressure doesn't subside. We face these anyway. As we conclude our series lead in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, Jesus teaches us how to maintain our integrity as leaders when we experience the three temptations that all leaders face. So here's the first temptation that we face as leaders. The temptation to use our power to bless ourselves. The devil says to Jesus when he's tired and hungry, Hey, Jesus, turn those rocks into bread. You look terrible. You're gaunt. You're famished. Who's going to follow skinny old Jesus? Right? You need to go eat something so that you can be good at the work you do. Turn those rocks into bread. How many times have our souls been hungry and tired? How many times as leaders have we faced the choice, the temptation to alleviate our own suffering by using our power, our position to bless ourselves instead of others? You see, when we refuse to trust God through our suffering, we stop trusting God and we rely only on ourselves. And friends, I can tell you, when Mark Montgomery relies only on Mark Montgomery and stops trusting God, especially when I'm suffering, it does not go well. You see, the Apostle Paul understood suffering. He talks about it. He talks about how through our suffering, it can actually strengthen our hope in Jesus Christ in Romans chapter 5. Verses 3 through 5, this is what he says. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. You see, Jesus refused to trust anyone but God through his suffering. His mission was to use the power and authority that had come from his Father in heaven to bless others and not himself. Now, we're often tempted by the bread of our own power, right? We're often tempted to use our position for ourselves, but unless we bless others with what God has given us, it will lead down a path of destruction. Here's the other thing I've realized. Have you ever noticed that when you try to use your power and authority and position to bless yourself, it's never as it's never enough. But when we use our power, our position, our authority, all that God has given us to bless others, it can do so much more than when we try to bless ourselves. Think about what Jesus did with five loaves of bread. What did he do? Depending on the story, he fed 5,000 men and their family. How did he do that? Because he trusted God through his suffering and refused to use his power to bless himself. Alright, so Jesus is Jesus. He, he wins round one. But the devil tries again. Here's the second temptation we face as leaders. We're tempted to use our power and position to garner attention, affirmation, and acclaim. So here's what Satan does. He takes Jesus up to the tallest tower in the temple and he he looks out and he says, Jesus, if you really want people to know that you're Messiah, I mean, if you really want people to know you are who you say you are, jump. Because here's what I know the scriptures say. I know that if you jump and you are the Messiah, you're not going to hit your head because angels are going to come and rescue you. Think about the headlines, Jesus. Think about the people that will come and gather and they will know that you are God Jump. 
But Jesus refuses to use his power and his position to affirm himself and to garner the praise and applause of the crowd. Instead, you know how Jesus' credentials are validated? He starts healing the brokenhearted, those who are outcasts of society. He starts helping the helpless. He starts bringing hope to the hopeless. That's how he validates his call as Messiah, his role, his power, his position. Well, not to be deterred, Satan then offers Jesus the best deal of the day. He says all, he takes him up to a high mountain. He says, Jesus, look at all of this. All the kingdoms of the world, all the riches, all the glories. If you'll just kneel down, bend the knee and worship me, I'll give it all over to you. You see, the third temptation all leaders face is to sacrifice integrity to get what we deserve. What Satan is doing here is he's offering Jesus the spoils of victory without any of the hard work. He can have it all now. All Jesus has to do is throw away his allegiance to his Father in heaven and his Father's will for his life. All he has to do is surrender it to Satan and he can get it all now. Now I want to pause here for a second. Because some of us may be looking at this story and thinking, there's not a real devil. Why would I ever worship Satan? Well, let me think about it differently for a minute. If we are not worshiping God with all of who we are, we worship something or someone. Let me be clear. Some of us, some part of us may worship God, but there may be other parts of us that worship other things or other people. Unless all of us worships God, then we're going to find ourselves headed down a road toward destruction. You see, all leaders choose their ultimate allegiance. Jesus refused to grab the glory by maintaining his allegiance to his Father in heaven. This is an important part of the story. No shortcuts, no using his power and authority to circumvent the hard work of obedience. To worship anyone or anything other than God is to lead us to destruction. But it's our choice to make, right? We can, we can either lead by manipulating the twists and turns of our positional authority, or we can lead by the productive moral authority that comes through following Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. Someone who I've witnessed do this time and time again, lead with productive moral authority, He's a friend of mine. Uh, he's actually a member here at Ebenezer, retired Marine Corps Colonel Jeff Peterson. You're going to hear his story today. And so I want to invite you to turn your attention to the screens as we hear Jeff's story. Well, Jeff, I want to thank you for joining us uh, as we continue to talk about leadership. So, Jeff, you have served as a, well, you're a retired colonel in the Marine Corps. You actually served as part of your tenure in the Marines uh, as a, a region, you're over an entire region as directing over that uh, region for uh, recruiting. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. And then you've uh, been a member here at Ebenezer, been a part of our uh, worshiping body for a while, and you actually served on our staff parish relations committee, the HR arm of of our administrative team, and you served as chair of that for a little while. And you also do some great work in a local prison ministry 
and then you're a dedicated father and a husband. And I just want to ask you, in all those different roles and in your life, how do you define leadership? Defining leadership, I think that's something that we, uh, we a lot of us study our entire life trying to figure out exactly what that word means. It's it's used so many different ways. I think our first tendency sometimes is to think about leadership from a positional standpoint. Somebody is at the top of an organization or somebody's in charge. And I think that's a pretty narrow definition when we really think about leadership. For me, leadership really uh, is, is best explained by understanding that um, you're leading every day, either through good example or bad example. It's really the example that you set every day. I think for all the Marines in the in in our congregation, we'll kind of understand a quick story to to illustrate this. As a young officer, I was in Marine Corps Air Station, Kaneohe Bay, Hawaii, and I was up in the commanding general's office as a young first lieutenant talking to then General Cates. And General Cates got up from the table and he looked out the window and he looked out over Kaneohe Bay and. I could see that he was he was looking down to see a, a, this young Marine who was out for a run. And he turned around and he said, you know what, Lieutenant? He goes, I uh, I haven't been out on a run for a long time. And you see that young Marine down there? I need to go out and do exactly what he's doing. It turned out that young Marine worked for me. He was a young Lance Corporal. And that day, the Lance Corporal was leading the general instead of the general leading the Lance Corporal. So it's the example that you set. And it's not the position that you hold that really defines uh, your qualities as, as a leader. Oh, thank you. Uh, leadership is not always easy. I know you personally have experienced some challenges, uh, some deep challenges uh, in your own life and with your leadership. What have your leadership challenges taught you about leading others? I think, first of all, you need to understand as a, as a leader that when you deal with people, um, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Uh, people are different. Everybody's got strengths, they have weaknesses, they have different characteristics, they have different challenges and experiences in their life. And what I've found is that the, the times when I've been the most effective as a leader is when I really take the time to get to understand who I'm dealing with. I think too often what happens is we um, we, we fall in the trap of, of trying to, to categorize people and to put people in groups and how do I lead this kind of person or how do I lead that kind of person. I, I think it's always best to invest a lot of time in getting to know the people you're going to interact with because then you can tailor your interactions with them in a way that's going to make your relationship the most productive and the most effective. So talk about that a little bit more in the context of uh, the prison ministry in which you serve. I know that uh, you've talked and walked with um, those folks that you serve and lead there. Uh, What are some ways that you've helped them uh, in their own leadership in their life? Sure. You know, when you go into the jail... um, you have people in there who have had a lot of difficulty in their life. Uh, they haven't been there usually once. They've been there a couple of times. They have broken relationships in their life. They have a lot of, his, I would say, misfortune in their life. Uh, what I try to help them understand is that misfortune is not unique to them. We, we all have misfortune in our life. We all have challenges. I, I lost a son in a car accident 2010, so it's nine years. It's amazing how time goes. One of the gentlemen I do the Bible study with has uh, experienced bankruptcy. Other people have experienced losses in their life, all kinds of different challenges. Uh, It just so happens that the people who are behind those bars have experienced problems with being on the wrong side of the law. Um, So what I try to help them understand is that, you know, 
how you respond to these these situations in your life, uh, you can set a great example. Uh, I know when my son passed away, it was really important for me to uh, to set an example that said, look, I've been standing side by side with people who've had a lot of tragedy in their life, and I've always talked the talk, right? I've always said, you know, we can get through this, you can get through this, you know, things will, the sun will come out again, and all of a sudden I found myself as the person who was in a difficult spot. And it was really important to me to, to say, look, you know, I can't just talk the talk, I have to walk the walk. I have to really get on with um, with crawling out of this hole that I'm in. Um, most of the inmates will tell you that... Uh, Jeff's favorite comment is, you can't stay in that hole. You can't ha- stay in that hole and have a pity party. You have to set an example. You have to crawl out of that hole. Um, you have to find a way out of it, because if you stay there too long, you might not get out of it. So all of these bad things that happen in our life really provide us with opportunities um, to demonstrate leadership, to set an example for other people. Um, and, and in that example, there's encouragement and encouraging our our fellow man is uh, is a huge part of of what makes us human. That's exactly right. You know, I think I've also heard you talk a lot about um, how instead of focusing on our misfortunes, right, we we focus on the things that we're thankful for. And I think that I've also seen the ways that that has helped you to hone in on where God has called you, um, and that's to focus on God's voice in those moments. So you were chair of the SPRC here uh, for a little bit, and then um, after an opportunity to decide whether or not you wanted to stay in that role or to step down through prayerful uh, consideration, uh, you came back and said that it was time for you to actually step down as SPRC chair because you wanted to spend more time uh, in your role as in prison ministry. So can you just briefly talk about that that prayerful no in sure. leadership. Um, there are, as, as Marines would say, there are a lot of targets to shoot at out there, and you can you can pick one. You just need to pick one and get on with it. But for me, uh, there's a Bible verse in the Book of Matthew that is that is very convicting for me, and it's uh, I'll just paraphrase. It says, you know, whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. And I'll always remember the story that I don't know if it's true or not, but a pastor was. Uh, dressed up as though he was a homeless person, and he laid in the flower bed outside of his church. And all of the people came on Sunday morning, and they they walked into the church and kind of turned their nose up at this person that was kind of smelly and stinky and wearing bad, or these old tattered clothes. And they all went into the church. Nobody tried to help them. Nobody did anything. And then when the service got ready to start, this this pastor who was all dressed up as though he was a homeless person walked to the front of the of the um, church and let them know that he was going to preach about. You know, whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. That story and that verse is extremely convicting to me. I mean, I I would not want to have been in that in that um, in that congregation. I never want to find myself in that situation. And so, for me, as I thought about the volunteer opportunities that I had, um, I certainly enjoyed the SPRC. I'm an HR professional by background, so it was a great fit. But my heart was really into going into the Rappahannock Regional Jail um, and being a part of a ministry. Uh, where the least of these, uh, who have lots and lots of problems and challenges, can receive hope and encouragement. Uh, that's where I felt God called me to be. And as I thought about, you know, the, the prayerful no, really for me, uh, I think what when you really know you're doing something right is when when what you're doing aligns with God's will in your life. And I've been doing this now for seven years. 
and I can tell you that I don't plan on stopping doing it anytime soon. And I think that's what happens when you're when what you're doing aligns with God's will. Um, it, it creates the resilience. It creates the the perseverance. It creates the desire to always want to be at the Rappahannock Regional Jail on Tuesday night, sharing the love of Christ with with people who really need that. So, um, again, lots of choices you can make about what you do with your time. Um, but I think Scripture can really help you understand where your heart is at. And for me, it's that verse in Matthew that I just can never get out of my mind. Well, Jeff, thank you so much. Thank you for your service to our country, for your servant leadership out into our community, and for our time together today. Thank you. Thank you. Here's what I know about my friend Jeff. He is passionate about Jesus' call on his life to lead others by serving them. His perspective on leadership is in line with his relationship with Jesus Christ. I love what he said. He said, we lead every day, whether it's through a good example or a bad example. It's the example that you set and not the position that you hold that really defines your qualities as a leader. What Jeff reminds us, what Jesus teaches us, is that we're called to use our position as an opportunity to serve others, not ourselves. But what happens when everything is going right, and then one day they start to go terribly wrong? I mean, I want to acknowledge in the context of what we've just heard and in the context of this weekend that there are many of us who are grieving the loss of this young, this young woman who died this past weekend, that our community is grieving. And I just want to take a moment and say this. God's with us. God has not left us. God has not abandoned us. God is with us. Whether we're in the hole and we feel stuck there, or we're trying to crawl out and God is helping us along the way, or or God is with us on the mountaintops, God is with us. If you're going through a trial right now, whether it's the loss of a friend or another painful or difficult moment, We can't run from our pain. We can't hide it. We can't bury it. We can't ignore it. But what we can do is trust God in our suffering. Here's the truth about the gospel. Here's the truth of the gospel. Our great hope in Jesus Christ is bigger than our greatest hurt. Our great hope in Jesus Christ is bigger than our greatest hurt. If we give all the bad stuff that we go through back over to God, eventually, in time, not immediately, God will redeem our pain and will redeem us to transform the lives of others. We can't rush to get there, but we can trust that God is faithful. And it's hard to see it when we're in it. I recognize that. But as Jeff talked about, as he shared losing his own son, Forrest, he said we need to crawl out of that hole. We can't stay there. Now, I can't begin to fathom the depth of pain that a parent experiences in those moments. But I've been amazed to witness Jeff and his family as they have allowed God to take their pain, their brokenness, and to redeem it. And to redeem them to be a blessing to others. That's certainly true for Jeff's work in prison ministry. It's phenomenal to witness. 
if we if we can get anything out of this series, if we can get anything about out of Jeff's story, his message, it's that following Jesus isn't easy. Our tendency as humans is to want to be served instead of wanting to serve others. Because serving others is messy, it's hard, it's difficult. But we're called to do it and it makes us makes us better leaders. It makes us better husbands, better wives, better fathers, mothers, parents, grandparents, it makes us better friends, better neighbors. It makes us better Christians. You see, our strength as a leader comes from knowing who God has created us to be and being clear on where God has called us to go. That's the difference in a character-driven leader. You see, when we use the prayerful no, as Jeff talks about, to relentlessly follow Jesus with all that we have, you know what's going to happen? We're going to trim away all the distractions. All the pressure. And we're going to bring hope to the world in a way that glorifies our Father in heaven. And let me tell you, that is a life worth leading. And that is a leader worth following. Let's pray. Oh, holy God, we thank you. Thank you, Lord for this opportunity we've had to reflect on these stories these past few weeks. God, I thank you for the four, for the five individuals who have been willing to share their story, their testimony of you working in and through their lives and the way that they lead and serve others. God, I pray that their stories, their witness would have an impact on our own lives. Lord, would cause us to be closer to you and to desire to know your will for our lives. God, that, that we would be hungry and thirsty for righteousness as we seek to better understand your word for us through scripture and your Holy Spirit at work in us and that we would yearn to be a part of this body in a real way that, God, we would be excited to go out and follow you into this world. So, Lord, we thank you for all that you've given us and all that you've gifted us with. And we thank you that your Holy Spirit is at work in and through us. And for all that you've given us, we give it all back to you. In the name and to the glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen.